0: The sun, bread and wine, hopping, Easter, the veins of leaves, the blowing grass, the color of stones, the pebbles on the stream's bed, the white tablecloth outdoors, the dream of the house in the house, the dear one asleep in the next room, the peace now someday, I can say it the horizon. as tonight I'm at last alone I must put an end. To coincidence, the new moon of podcast. I don't know if there's destiny, but there's a podcast. Podcast! We have now become time. Not only the whole town, the whole world is taking part in our podcast. We too are now more than us two. We incarnate something. We are representing the people now. And the whole place is full of those who are dreaming the same dream. We are deciding everyone's game. I am ready, now. It's your turn. You hold the podcast in your hand. Is our song. Thank you, Stephen. Boy, I'm excited. Today we have a special episode. Welcome to is Cinema... Yeah, it's a good one. Welcome to Cinematographologically Speaking. Today's a special episode. We have a special guest, David Caldwell, professor of German and co-founder of the Film Studies Program at Northern Colorado, your University of Northern Colorado. Welcome, David. Thank you. It is a pleasure to have you here. So as I was saying earlier, we um, we commonly, you know, scour for some academic papers on some of the movies we watch and in preparation or afterwards, and uh, we thought, you know, we should just email some of these people. It would be great to have them on, and we thought, you know, we'll send out a hundred emails and maybe maybe someone will bite, but we we turned out to only email you, and you responded properly. We've had some great correspondence, and and here we are, so it, this is exciting for us.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be with right? you, glad to connect with other people who really like wings of desire Hmm.
0: well we are definitely those people i know at least myself and john uh i think oh and john uh brody and steven this or steven is this not your first viewing
2: no this is my second viewing. oh okay Okay. great movie
0: all right everyone's a big lover of it we don't know about brody yet (laughs) we are (laughs) it actually sucks. oh come on we are yet we are yet to hear more from brody but we'll uh we'll get to the bottom of this but before then um so right, your professor, German co-founder, film study program. You know, you're a hard man to learn about online. Uh, not that, not the, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I, I wish I, you know. I, I wish I were Google. I'd have all the details. But can you tell us a bit about you know, sort of your your academic history and and and, and in brief, you know, how you came into into the position you are and and, and came into contact with Wings of Desire and, and worked on it the way you did.
1: Yeah, actually I'm a professor emeritus of German, I retired in 2019, Um, was with the university for over 30 years, and uh, early in my career uh, became enamored of Wings of Desire, um, and uh, had done a lot of work with German cinema before then, Uh, some postdoctoral work which um, allowed me to expand my academic profile into film studies and co-founded with a colleague of mine in the english department our film studies program and uh when wings of desire came out uh in 87 um i was very impressed with the film but hadn't done anything with it academically and then when the berlin wall fell in 89 Mm -hmm. my colleague and i went back and looked at this film and thought this was an amazing prophecy in many ways of this overcoming of divisions in Germany and really globally, and began to look at the film in a much more analytical way. At the time, much of the discourse in academia was about modernism versus postmodernism, and that was sort of the beginning point of the of the the kernel of the paper. Um, but I. Uh, uh, those Those concepts I think in the mean, in the meantime have become a bit less important. the film even more important I think, and um, uh the oppositions in the film between writing and visual medium, for example um I think are things that are ongoing human experiences that people still uh, ask themselves about how what we know and how we know um, then um uh yeah that that I guess is in a nutshell how I came came to look at the film also I, w- I have to mention I think what drew me to it is a uh, uh, that is a film about Berlin. It was one of my favorite cities in the world. I think hmm. Berlin is a uh, an exemplar of a global division uh, that has uh, th- historical, Historically sought to uh, struggle to become a world city and never really has mm-hmm. um, because of its history that's always held it back. Um, but it's also a study of how one overcomes those, uh, how, how a place can overcome division. And I think the, the film is an homage to Berlin. And that, that was also a big draw for me.
0: Certainly. So you, you had visited, have you, had you been to Berlin before you'd seen the film?
1: Yes, a number of times. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Well, like that, and, and you reference in there the, the paper, uh, just to, for the audience around the world knows what we're talking about. How do you pronounce a uh, Hanke?
1: Hanke. Hanke? Uh, Peter, so, Peter Huntke Yes, um, Austrian poet mm. uh, who is a frequent collaborator of uh, Wim Wenders on uh, his film scripts. And um, so... He is the uh, co- mm-hmm. the co-author of the film. he wrote much of the di- the uh, angels' monologues, if not all of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Okay.
0: including the, like a lot of the voiceover stuff we hear right in people's spots is mostly from him, right?
1: Right. Uh, and- oh, and just uh, to answer your question, the title of the article I'm referring to is Huntka's and Vendors Wings of Desire: Transcending mm-hmm. PostModernism. And i published that with a colleague paul ray in two in 1991
0: yeah so so and that's the paper that we sort of came upon that's how we found you and uh we thought the the essay uh really gelled with you know at least uh, like our perception of the film and a lot of what we saw happening too so um yeah it's fantastic and then yeah well here we are i think it was a pretty good Summation and uh, and yeah. hopefully we we'll, we can we can section off some time towards the end of the podcast and so we can kind of just talk about film more broadly and and things like this and our, our, our filmic interests. Great. Uh, for now, we'll do we'll, we'll we'll do the brief intro and then our brief uh, brief thoughts and we'll get into it. Um. We'll. Uh, I'll start. I guess this is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing this film. Love it um just such a fantastic uh it's rare to get to get a film i think that that blends the sort of like more abstract conceptual with like such strong emotion and imagery and and things like this um and uh definitely like super super special to me uh uh i won't it, it won't be a big reveal in the end uh when i give my score cuz this is one of I think only three films I've ever given a perfect score to. And so definitely super special to me. Uh, And it's the only of the three that is is undeniably life affirming and uh, (laughs) positive. The rest are a bit more uh, doom and gloom, but so that's me.
3: Um, I can go next. The uh, yeah, I love this film. Um, This is probably, yeah, like my fourth or fifth viewing as well. Um, Yeah. When I first saw it, I like, immediately went and bought the Blu-ray because Mm -hmm. I just like wanted a physical copy of it so bad. Um, yeah, every time I watch this film, I mean, I get emotional at different places and I'm always just like shocked that so many, so many things, this film, like technically, like what's going on with like the floating camera with the angels and all this and like, and, and just like emotionally, I'm always just like hit super strongly and yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in agreement with Troy that this is like easily one of the best films that I've ever
2: seen. <clears throat> um, I'll go next, I totally agree. I think it's a great movie. Uh, second time viewing it, I agree with Troy's claim that it is life affirming and it's one of the most, like, you know, it, you know, inarguably life affirming, you know, it's great. And, uh, it's awesome that it accomplishes that even through like some moments of tension such as there's this uh, i the first time i saw it and even this time to some degree i had this uh you know when you when uh when you have a uh, damiel interact with um the uh, other fallen angel uh outside of the uh movie shooting grounds you know i, ha- I have this feeling you know like this insidious nature this like uh Satanic temptation to come to to fall as an angel, you know and come to humanity mm-hmm. But even it's it's through that that it becomes life-affirming. There's no moment where like uh, oh that he's made a foolish decision That's you know tragic and it's terrible instead It's 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 through it's through the various falls that you actually end up with this ultimately redemptive and life-affirming arc Which is just so awesome. I uh, love this movie. Yeah uh,
4: I'll go next that was a I that was a good uh, explanation Stephen. I really like this movie. Um, this is also my third time watching it every time I watch it. like every ce- a new scene every time jumps out at me. Um, very comforting, but also uh, like gritty, I guess I would consider it, um, maybe aesthetically. Um, and I was also surprised I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised that this came out um, after Paris, Texas. I don't know why, maybe through this podcast I can figure this out, but for some reason it was surprising to me when I looked it up after. Uh,
5: I love this film. I am so glad that we have a life-affirming film on this podcast. No more <laughs> dreary drab. Um, to tack on a little bit to what Steven was saying, uh, where I thought the film was headed was that it was a mistake was that it was not gonna be ultimately redemptive. And I'm really glad that it was. Um, I'll just
1: leave it there for now. David? Yeah, I appreciate all the uh, observations. Um, I think one of the things that strikes me about the film uh, is that this there, there isn't really uh, any uh, stigma attached to, becoming human from angel, mm. or to being an angel, to staying an angel. as so even that opposition, uh, and you were mentioning the conversation outside the movie, um, the shooting site, where it's revealed that Damiel wants to become human. And um, Cassiel is obviously a very, um, he's not on board with that, at least not yet. and. Mm. Uh, and the movie doesn't really condemn either of those it, it, it creates space for both of those choices yeah yeah definitely
0: yeah, that's true certainly and i think this this um part of this life just to comment on the like the recurring life affirmant thing and like uh i do like there it, it does have substantial darkness in terms of you know more explicitly right like the, the suicide and and sort of uh, mm-hmm. and looking at the um somewhat despairing uh circumstances that, <clears throat> that that many people seem to fall into and there's also this sort of looming maybe concept that like uh uh, uh damiel or damian Namiel, i'm getting Cassiel damian damian is uh like essentially like choosing death like like it, it, it's a it's a sort of suicide right and uh but it turns out to be like um since it's worth it like as if uh like like human life is worth dying for and things like this and like and it i feel like it in some sense doesn't really delve into this uh just how terrifying a concept death is but like it you, you can feel that when it's worth it like uh how much that means like when it was when it was worth the thing like uh something like this but to sort of uh Maybe maybe Kickstarter is something that, that I imagine will, will frame a lot of our discussion. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll quote from the, the, the essay what seems to be the sort of, you know, thesis, this uh, second paragraph, David, that's starting with uh, through interplay. Does that sound about right?
1: Uh, yes.
0: So the it reads, Through interplay between such supposed opposites as word and image, child and adult, Veeam Vendor's Wings of Desire returns repeatedly to issues of epistemology and memory, to questions about the past and the future. The film's central polarity of images and words, along with its implications for how and what we know, creates important opportunities for discussing broader tensions and turning points in contemporary culture. Thus, Wings of Desire both illustrates and transcends tensions between modernism and postmodernism. More significantly, just as this film encourages Reconciliations between opposites. So too does it herald a world moving beyond the divisions of the past. So, right. It seems like you identify right. It's it's overcoming various tensions. Um, primarily, let me know if I'm missing some. There's lots of right uh, sub sub points there. But mo- modernism and postmodernism, image versus word, past versus future, history versus memory and various other tensions like that So child of. and adult child, child and adults. adult yeah yeah importantly that's obviously a huge motif in the film so i thought we could probably maybe go through uh like talk about each of those tensions and, and how they figure in the film and things like that, Does that sound? okay sure so maybe we'll start with like the most obvious or and and obviously there's gonna be a ton of interplay so we don't need to necessarily restrict ourselves uh to only operating within that frame but um Maybe like image versus word, because to me this was coming into this, and before I read your paper, this was what I thought was the overwhelming um, message, so to say, that I took away. Although I framed it more as um, like uh, like the the concept, uh, like the abstract uh, lingual concept versus the like the emotion or the the base senses yeah, like of life the world of
3: ideas are yeah, like the world of emotion yeah that was how hmm. i
0: originally framed it but i think word and image is like an appropriate uh analogistic uh, uh mirroring there or something like this but um mm-hmm. well, i'd be interested
1: in uh what what you all think about that I, I was struck by how one of the first things you see in the film after the a shot of the clouds the sky over berlin which is of course the thing that unites berlin all berliners east and west see the same sky is that there's in this transition to an eye to a human eye and so that in many ways it is the film is just shot through with questions of what we see how we see the visual in other words and yet here he is this picture maker this image maker of Collaborating with an author, with a poet, somebody who works with words, and that so that pairing right at the outset, I think for me, um, formed a, a structural basis for our for the narrative, which is was actually quite haphazard. Much of the dialogue was unplanned, unwritten <laughs> ahead yeah. of time. Um, so the 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 words in many ways always uh, uh, are dressing for the pictures and. Uh, the the two go hand in hand, but not. I find it difficult to say that any at any point in the film one prevails over the other. That they're both they're both uh, held up as being important means of human experience, important examples of human experience. That it would be a mistake to uh, downplay one or up or, or allow, allow one to overemphasize um, yeah. the other.
0: Yeah. Yes, certainly right. And there's this. Um the, the, what would it be? The foil of the angels or, or Damiel and, um, Cassiel, I mean, Casiel being more of the word, right. And the humans more of the image. Would, would you say yeah. that that's about right? Well, uh, not, not, not exactly, but the, I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is how I originally felt about it. But of course, like you have the, the marriage of, uh, Oh, all these names are also similar. Marielle well, Troy. and Damiel uh, being sort of like a marriage between Veeam and uh, Peter, but of course, Marion aspires to the word and, and has these sort of lofty, um, very lofty, like, transcendental concerns. That sounds well, right. Well, Troy,
3: you could, you could just give more or less your spiel about, like, what we've talked about before, about, like, and just use your own language of the, or the words that we kind of deemed as being the world of ideas and the world of emotion or whatever, and then we could discuss how that connects with um, Professor Caldwell's, like, um, his thesis instead. Because, like, I, I don't know if they necessarily map onto each other directly.
0: Well, you go ahead. I mean, I, know, I agree okay. they don't map on directly, but I, I see, like, a lot of similarities. But the, the characters are also, like, like I see Damiel as coming from a world of ideas into the... I think the ideas and the word are obviously, uh, more, you know, one-to-one, but image and emotion, emotion are this more like base human sense, but <clears throat> they all want different things and are going different ways. And like, Marian is super embodied, right? Like she's a, uh, she's this, uh, physical artist, but she's also like ascending up and, and her ending monologue is super, uh, like heady enough, the word, so to say, as Thamiel is like going in a different direction you mean
2: I think um it, it, maybe maybe the way uh, you're using uh, the world of ideas in this case uh I would s- maybe just substitute it for like fantasy or something like that and not in a negative sense but, but in the sense that uh Damiel for instance fantasizes um given given all the uh like he fantasizes what the senses will be like right hmm. um, and Marion to some degree fantasizes what uh life uh unbarred from the constraints of, like, time uh, and things like that would be, like, in the sense that she has to come to grips with, uh, rather, she's kind of disillusioned. She actually kind of fractures the fantasy. She kind of is uh, entering, like, a world of acceptance or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I always thought of uh, Damiel as being, like, very quixotic in the sense that he's, like, totally in love with this idea, this fantasy of what human life would be like, um, and so he's going to pursue it. Uh, even to his own like uh peril which is ultimately you know a redemptive thing or at least a beautiful thing uh such that it doesn't come across as like tragic right um it's not it but it is perhaps in some ways foolish but not in a negative way yeah um uh so anyways to to bring it back to the point of world of ideas versus um world of emotions uh maybe like motions being the more human and then Ideas being the the fantasy, I don't know. That's how I was uh, viewing it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, how do you um? How is it that you bolster the idea that it is the realm of uh, ideas versus the realm of what was the other one?
0: Are you talking about Emotion for for Troy. Well.
5: Well wow, I, I just I mean, I just see I mean, the
0: clear separation of the angels and the humans or... and the color and the black and white yeah. and this, this this the weight yep. the weight of life the weight he wants <laughs> to feel on the rock and the and sort of something I'm imagining is they they um in the opening sequence when the camera is floating through the homes behind the advertisements which I think is like mm-hmm. noteworthy right it's like the people who live behind the ad and and <laughs> and the ad blocks their view of this uh, gorgeous architecture like across the highway but um, right. We hear all the thoughts and then, uh, Damiel goes into, a uh, uh, recites the, you know, when the child was a child, uh, poem by, by Hanke, mm-hmm. Hanke. Is it, sorry, is it Hanke or Henke? Uh, e-
1: either works. So the, uh, the poet would say hanke but.
0: <laughs> hanke. I'll yeah. try my best. It's unfortunate we don't have the, the only person who's not here is the, is Jacob who, who, who knows a bit of German, um. But he's describing when uh, children in the poem, uh, when children would still ask questions like, why am I me and not you and things like this. And one of the things, uh, one of the things, the question uh, of the child is um, like, it, it, I can't find it in my notes. Something about like, uh, is there not a world? Am I not just like seeing a world in front of a world? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. Like this almost like, like a kantian thing, right? Yeah. And Darn, then yeah, I was going to say like idealism. Yeah, and yeah. then later uh Damiel says when 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 they're at the river with Cassiel, Cassiel and Damiel are at the river and they're discussing when when before man and and all these things in language and then they're on the the thing and they're walking towards the wall and Cassiel says, "So you really want to do this?" He says, "Yeah, I want to, you know, maybe just hold an apple or do xyz." And he identifies as being uh, I'm so upset. I've got all these notes and it's so cluttered. I can't even find it But he 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 describes his life as an angel as being in the world Behind the world Okay, right so like the child yeah. the child well, exists in the world in the world in front of the world and uh, To, to, anyway, to just- me, it's to
5: me that's something that's weird is that the idea of like separating like the angle angels as like something that is like language when language is like well both language and sight is like one of the most essential parts of like being a human being language in particular well, i would say but that's like i don't know like when i think of like being a human and what it is that well uh-huh
3: the um another another like divide that like comes to mind is like the uh, the angels—they're not like embodied, so they don't have like. There's like all this, all a lot of the poetry and stuff. A lot of like Damiel's kind of uh, fantasizing about what it's like to be human and stuff is all about like senses and touch and mm-hmm. like Peter Falk—he's like, like feel that when he like rubs his hands together or whatever. And like, I I think that um, it, like the the angels are are totally just mind. They're just and it, it, they don't have like the, uh, yeah, they don't they don't have like physical sensory experience or whatever which would be like the the image or whatever like eyes or whatever is the same thing
0: to to bring it back sorry david Mm -hmm. you what do you think about like um, how do you see the relationship between the the like the mind versus human weight uh division and the word image division like do you see it mapping in any clean way
1: yeah, the um, the for me an important uh, scene is in the in Marion's trailer when Damiel is uh, eavesdropping on her thoughts, as is after the circus is uh, closed and she's melancholy, and I, I, I recall her saying something like, um, "I'm uh, I'm unhappy because I'm clumsy, or my cl- my clumsiness makes me unhappy." And we just seen seen her in a rather rather elegant way up on the trapeze. That at the same time is it corresponds to Damiel's unhappiness at not being able to be clumsy, as not being able to experience those human foibles. And while mm-hmm. while he's while he's uh, listening to her, he picks up a rock. Apparently, she has a collection of rocks, uh, and, and he picks up this stone. So there's that physical weight that he can't appreciate. And the two are moving toward each other. Um, I, think, I think you're right that she's really definitely in humans are represented as creatures of words, the monologues that Handke has put in their minds and then in the voiceover subsequently. Um, they're very, um, yeah, almost logoria. I mean, it's a, real, it's a very wordy film. Um, but it, the film early on opens with a fountain pen writing those words on a page, um, as the child, when the child was a child. And uh, that, that's, uh, many times how humans, I think, uh, contemplate words as the written word.
4: Yeah.
1: And, um, that, that is also something that, um, that Damiel is not able to appreciate and it's moving toward that. Um, for another, uh, example of that for me symbolically is the, is another thing he picks up in the, I, th- I think the things he p- tries to pick up in the film are important. So in the library, he just idly picks up a pencil from a, yeah, from yeah, a right, table or yeah. a, a writing instrument, and he flips it around in his fingers and so forth. Well, it's an absolutely useless implement for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, then when he sits down, um, but I, I think he wishes it were. I wish he, I think he, those diaries that they're reading to each other as they sit in the car dealership. I, I think is wishing it was actually a physical diary, a publishable book, uh, and not something just uh, remanded to the ethereal world of the angels inaccessible to us. Uh, mm-hmm. When he sits down in the library and spreads his arms apart, maybe you notice that that symbolism to me, it was almost like a crucifix pose.
5: Yeah, I, I, I caught that oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I didn't. And then he sets that pencil down across his knees. It's like the crossbeam, you know that, that that he actually is sort of wishing he could feel that kind of agony and pain that humans can feel that that's what's missing in his life, the ability to write, to read, to the physical word. Um, so I see that as mapping. Um, and that there's an appreciation of words in both the the uh humans and the angels, of course, um
5: yeah, i think uh I think like the relationship between like desire and suffering to me is like really interesting or at least really true in some sense, and also um i don't know i'll I'll be prepared to be corrected, but it's like there's almost I feel like there's almost something there in the sense like if the angels do represent something like language like you know but and I said previously that language is like an essential part of like being a human being, but if you were to say like within each human is like a spark of divinity, like there is a relationship there that like our language and our ability to sort of like have these like formulated ideas and things like that, like is part
2: of what makes human beings a part of the divine. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the classic thing, right? Is, uh, yeah. is the word of God and like uh, speaking the world into existence and things like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's uh that's a common, like that's a common biblical theme and in, in, in all mythology. Yeah. Um, Didn't get corrected. Wh- just... What I find, what I find interesting is just how human the, you know, Damiel Cassiel are, you know, I, I find it interesting that Damiel can even appreciate or even can form fantasies about something which he can't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm not sure that's ever quite answered, but that's okay. You know, I suspend my, you know, I'm not going to nitpick, you know, um, mm. instead I'm going to appreciate it. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if it's ever quite explained or addressed. Um, not that that matters because obviously the end result is something good, um,
0: I'm not yeah, because sure. because
2: sure. they share laughs, you know, they share laughter and things well, like that, and and uh, they both, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah this off. is something that this is something that confused me as well. Is um, which I think we've discussed this before. Um, but yeah, that the angels can have a desire in the first place because that seems like a very carnal, like human thing to have mm-hmm. desires, and so um, but, I don't know. Something kind of interesting about the angels. I mean, this is not really an explanation for that, but uh. The angels are something like total uh total lack. Like they have absolutely no they have they have absolutely no uh just anything. And so it's like it's almost like they're kind of like primed to have like the ultimate desire, which would be to like become human or something like that.
4: Hmm.
0: With a light Yes. Uh just to go back to what you were saying, David, the um quick mention of that library scene is just one of the most incredible things ever. Oh, uh, so Insanely good. beautiful as it comes in with that music, which will, uh, I feel, like, later be contrasted by, uh, I feel like there's mainly, like, the, the library, angelic music, the, the carnival uh, music, and, the and of course, Nick Cave. Um, <laughs> Nick yeah, K- Cave, K- K- K-
5: side note, Nick Cave was awesome. I love he seeing Nick, Nick Cave. Cave in this. <laughs> yeah. I like
0: that he's, like, so French. We'll get to Nick Cave. uh, as they're sitting in the mercedes and they go through these notes right and they they do so and, and and recite you know the the notes of the day to each other sort of um dutifully and and uh damiel kind of pats cassiel and says look at this you know and and the image of just this this couple in love um i don't know just just to bring up more sort of um tension between the word and the image and uh as they As they can recount all these things, it doesn't exactly trade for just uh for seeing it and being there and it's right. interesting that that given that they they imply multiple times that they know everything uh, and and that's part of right damien's desire is to to guess to 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 wonder yeah. you know to not know into um, the world
5: of the unknown yeah
0: what a be- what of a beautiful place it is yeah or it and, can be and, and like you say in your paper is that sort of uh mirrors the right? Like seeing is believing, like there's something about uh, sight in the word and, and to know something in word is not right, the same to see it, which is like, uh, right. And, and to observe from the world behind the world is not the same as to be in the world in front of the world. Like the child is and, um, right. yeah. And then just what, Oh yeah. The desire thing. Well, I feel like the wings of desire, the desire is to desire or something like this, right. Yeah. Yeah. So to feel the weight of the of the body is to, mm-hmm. is to, to, to feel the weight of time and to, right. Like he says like now, and then and, now, and, and also now. like the, de- also yeah. the
5: desire to like pursue, you know, a relationship or whatever, you know, like I really, I really love how aff- affirming it was when, um, Falker was like, you know, what are you here for it's being Falk. a, being a person? And he's like a woman. He's like, yeah, like, awesome, dude like, <laughs>
2: you know, run it, man. Like, it's, I really like that. In... But what's interesting is that they, they they do have a relationship, right? Damiel and Cassiel seem like jolly friends. You know, like, they seem like it's they get along back. really well. But yeah, it's way, it's way back. back. We go, <laughs> we go, we go, we go I, way back. Like, Time! Like, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think uh, David mentions this in his paper, but uh, there's a, there's a early on, there's this feeling like it could be a buddy, or maybe perhaps it's the criterion discussion. I'm, I hope I'm not confused. No, no, it's
0: but, in the, it's in the no, no, it's... Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, it's that, that it's, um...
0: Buddy, uh, buddy like, cop, like or something. Or buddy yeah, film.
2: yeah, and yeah, a buddy film sort of idea, and it even has like this black and white noir, maybe some sort of detective thing going on, but you know, but <laughs> but instead, obviously, it turns out different. But but the point being that they're they are able to have relationships, so it you know right. I, I mean, know. but it's not the same.
0: Yeah. But it's not. It's not yeah. even.
2: It's not the same. Yeah, True. Yeah. But it's but love, They right? it's have the relationships,
0: love. and it's not that he right, he doesn't love Marion. He desires to love her. which i think is like the most beautiful thing because it's like it contrasts like more conventional like uh um i won't get into it but like just different conceptions of love and this is my favorite like as opposed to one in which it's like a commodified love of like what what will i gain from this relationship and things like this right like the the true desire is to love her to give to her to like uh as she right here ending monologue is about her becoming and he wants to help that like he wants to help her flourish and stuff like this
1: Mm -hmm. um and love is a mm-hmm. word. Uh, uh, it, it's representational as are all words. So I, th- I like the way you say he desires to love her. Uh, he desires to know what the word bitter coffee means or, it, yeah. you know, the, the, mm-hmm. these, these human sensations that he's been observing for millennia. Um, he knows the words and he knows the responses and the faces of humans to them. But he doesn't know the actual experience of love or coffee or uh, colors or smells
0: yeah mm-hmm. and the color is so fantastic um
1: isn't it amazing actually. when it shifts to color it was just it was just eye popping all of a sudden and i I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing i i, I reason I, I just assume that um ali khan took the filter off for the color <laughs> and had it only on for the for the black and white so in, this, in in essence, we're everything. If if the black and white is mainly the angel's perspective, we're seeing everything in a kind of filtered way, not yeah. not, and then, not not quite there the way they aren't quite there.
5: And then, mm-hmm. uh, like when that first part of color comes in with um, what's her name? Marion. Marion, yeah. you know, like that is like the first like spark of like human desire, mm-hmm. like within him. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. Or there's these little,
1: little glimpses of it before he, before he takes the plunge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It is shocking too. Cause it, it's so brief. It, it, it's a really quick moment. And I remember like the first time I saw it or even like first couple times, cause I forget, I forget exactly when it's coming. And, uh, it's just like a whirlwind, like all, like it's her flying through the air and then it's over and you're like, Whoa. And it makes the subsequent black and white just that much more stark, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, definitely about the the filter. There is a uh, there's a there's a, there's a, a much more clean look to the color if that makes sense. And, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. right. I, well, I don't know I, if you. I, I you think, think Alakhan is-
1: used a silk screen for the black and white.
0: Yeah, it's like his um, was his mother's or his grandmother's stocking or something. <laughs> uh, is that true? Yeah, he used. Uh,
5: Dude, what? Here Wasn't it the budget or something? Why <laughs> I can pull it up,
0: but uh...
1: no, that's actually uh, what. Yeah, how he filmed Beauty and the Beast is, uh, and I don't know what's special about that piece of silk, but he's always <laughs> he's used a piece of silk from a grandmother's stocking, I think, or maybe it was his mother's. I I forget as well. Stretched between, you know, in a frame, and puts that over the lens. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, it says so here, can used a very old and fragile silk stocking that had belonged to his grandmother as a filter for the monochromatic sequences. So yeah, it adds this this look, and it becomes, I think, so stark when we've been in the world of color. He after he's you know uh, fallen to man and and he's risen he's the man, risen the man. Yeah, laterally transitioned. Yeah, laterally traversed. When he's sitting in the dirt, and then Cassiel comes to visit him. And you've been in color now for you know a good while, and I remember each time I watch it, I'm so uh, surprised by just how filtered awesome it that looks. jacket is. Yeah, yeah, his jacket how so awesome, awesome, that awesome that jacket is. Yeah, but oh I mean, if it, it's just a uh, yeah, it's so stark. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just the 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 color to to monochrome, but the. The filter and, and and how you've already become accustomed to this. Um, and, this you, thing. you know,
1: I, I think also to go back to Berlin a, a little bit, it just sort of emphasizes the grittiness of that city. It's, it's in many ways not a particularly attractive metropolis. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's grimy. It has really ugly parts to it. Lots of vacant lots that are, you know, the evidence of bombed out areas from the war, and um, it, it's a big messy sprawling urban um jungle and i think the that that aspect of berlin wasn't hidden at all in this film that's that's part of the reality of that city yeah. and the, the potsdamer platz which is now of course this bustling uh, place of gleaming office buildings was this uh, no man's land essentially where the wall was Once the busiest intersection on all of Europe where five streets intersected and and it just became nothing. um, That's that. I think that bleakness, that's that's the word I'm looking for. The the bleakness of Berlin is highlighted. I think additionally by that filtering. Mm
3: -hmm. I think that, uh, or just to that point, I love that where he first, where Damiel first like gets up or whatever is in what, a place that we would probably consider ugly in any other context. But that whole scene is so filled with like joy and like childlike wonder as he like points to the colors of like this kind of not very attractive, uh, uh, mural and stuff. And like, yeah, but I, I I love, I love like, I don't know. It's such a great, um, yeah, it's just such a great like place to do it because Uh, because of that like contrast and how he like still sees even this like kind of gritty rundown places so wonderful
2: and I I think uh, I love that he drops with the the chest plate you know the 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 queers you know yeah really Um, good it's uh and I'm pretty you know you know I'm going out on a limb here but I would guess as I mentioned before I think that is like a a little uh, homage to Don Quixote uh maybe not though um, but there's also like, uh, the moments when they say compañero, you know, uh-huh. uh, I don't know. I, and I totally get this quixotic idea from him because, uh, you know, he wakes up smiling and he's in this, uh, you know, bleak area. Um, of course we now uh, identify with him and we agree that it, there is a beauty to it. And as well as the, you know, the, the shot just has such beautiful colors in it. Um, but it really is like, we're entering the psyche of like a fool or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. or like, um. Uh, something like that, and it's uh, I don't know, it, it comes across really well. I like it, and I love yeah. the armor. I mean, the armor is so silly,
0: you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, it's <laughs> so yeah. fun. Yeah, it Perfect. seems like a weird, like outdated rule or something that just somehow still applies. Yeah, and they drop you
2: but, yeah, yeah. when you fall to when you fall to earth. You you get a cuirass.
1: <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of the Don Quixote connection. I like that. Yeah, there's also a little bit of humor in it. It's like we're going to give you this armor because you're going to need it down there, buddy. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a But it has a practical it. value too because you can pawn it and then you can buy coffee mm-hmm. and. Whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah, and they both and they both did pawn it, which yeah. is interesting. One guy sold it for five hundred, the other guy sold it for two hundred. You know, uh, uh, but it gives you your moment of like uh mm-hmm. of it, it, that's one of the first moments of like human experience, though, because it's like that that's the first like moment of suffering he gets to feel is the is the revelation that he was scammed. You know? Yeah, fool. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah, 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 really, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's perfect. That's
5: perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, I don't know. Like it, it's sort of a thing that people say that like. Human beings are the only animals capable of deception. Mm. Um, and, you know, Joel has nothing to say.
4: Oh, mm. uh, but you can finish if you want. I was just going to no, say, like, he's so <laughs> naturally childlike when he when he um, yeah. when he awakens. And there's a moment where it kind of shocked me. Uh, right after he he wakes, he asks the guy about the colors, and then he like looks down the street, and then he says something like, "Well, I guess I guess I'm gonna go," or something like that. Yeah. I don't know why I found it so shocking and it was like a moment where, you know, maybe all the other people in the movie that have been, that we hear through the angels, they're maybe depressed or going through something. It's kind of a depressing moment, but he sees it as, well, well, we'll we'll see what's next. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. was pretty. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, definitely. It speaks to the bleakness you're talking about. David, about uh, I mean, right? We just open up to this, you know. We have like the radio tower and this, this, this uh, these commercial sounds, and like the first people we, I think, like, the first people we really meet are people who live behind advertisements off a busy highway, and their lives are troubled, you know, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's, it's not a super optimistic view. No. And um, and this almost gives me, but but right to contrast, right? His his childlike pleasure and pretty much all the children we see in the film are are, seem pretty happy um yeah like and it's not just uh like it's bigger than just oh oh here's a here's a bleak world but if you look close enough it's beautiful or something like this like oh you have to yeah you, you have to take a stop you have to look around you know there's yeah, i mean there's the that, roses. yeah yeah there's some of that too but there's something about yeah, life's like, bad but it's good too you know yeah there, yeah there's some yeah exactly but but, there, but there's something more that i think has to do with that sort of um i don't know there's something more there and maybe it has to do with the the just a, a postmodern conception of the world as this sort of uh bleak every person is their own state like the guy in the in the nice car as he gets taxi. Oh, around i love that monologue mm-hmm. i love that guy yeah monologue so good but like that seems like a sort of um, postmodern thing. I'm I'm always nervous to talk about postmodernism because I yeah. I don't know what it is. But I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna try not to say that word. Yeah, yeah. But but the sort of um, like the problem of of separateness and mm-hmm. the 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 ineffectiveness of communication and like the problem of intersubjectivity like all factor in here and you talk about them in your essay with with the the, the incomplete communicative ability of of the word as well as of the image right like you talk about uh, Brecht. And 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 in his in his thoughts in the image and, and the sort of reduction that it is, but the same thing with language. Um anyway, yeah the, the I don't know, there's something I see as, as related, this this this, this happiness and, and, and childlike beauty nestled. It's not ju- like a, it's not just nestled within this bleak world. It's like um it's a it's a it's a moving forward yeah. attitude. Yeah.
2: I think I think that's been accomplished and why we get such a great feeling even in this bleak setting is be is because of how mm, the the strong case that's been made for damiel's decision to uh fall or even if you know if you could even call it a decision but you know for him to fall in love and that now now we're in this scene it doesn't feel like we're cherry picking instead we've like totally entered his subjective mind like the colored world has always been in some sense associated with damiel's subjectivity um you know like uh for instance um When he sees, like we see uh, Marion in color, but really we're also, in a sense, adopting the fantasy of um, Damiel, Mm -hmm. you know. And and I think that we've just been so we've been lured into his mind so well um, that it doesn't it really doesn't feel like uh, there is this cherry pick moment of beauty because really, you know, yeah, we're adopting the view that Damiel sees as everything is beautiful and new and had like full ripe with potential unknown. Um, and I, I think that's one reason why.
1: Yeah. It would, mm-hmm. The film would do, lose an awful lot of meaning if it were set in some sort of uh, tropical island paradise, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <So> this bleak this <laughs> <unique laughs> urban, that that, that, is, that is actually an attractive option for him to go into that world and become mortal there is very life affirming. And mm-hmm. I think that what's missing uh, in it, in uh, The Angels, uh, that Damiel feels is missing, is also something that, is missing in humans in other words of losing losing touch with that childhood experience because that often repeated line of hantke, when the child was a child really means if you stop and think about that that um, that the ch- that we've that we've uh, th- that we are children
4: mm.
1: because the the subject of the sentence is the child when the child was a child but the sentence is also saying we are Children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just that we don't know that
0: anymore.
4: Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, right.
0: right. And 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 after the, the, the humanization or you know of of, of Damiel, we hear. Right. The, when the child was a child, and it still is. Like uh, it describes sensations, right, and they still are and things like this. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And he right, he's like the, some type of proper synthesis, of, the do child.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could I like Oh,
5: go ahead, John.
3: I was just gonna mention just while we, uh, before we leave, like the the contrast of like the color to the black and white. Something I was gonna say earlier when we were talking about, um, Damiel sitting in the in the dirt patch or whatever, and that like switch. One of my favorite moments of that is um when they're in the club, uh, for the second time. Except this time, Damiel is is human, and you have this switch to Cassiel. Mm-hmm. um yeah uh this i don't know this moment was just like every time it just really like cuts through for me and like this distance between the two and like i don't know the look on cassiel's face of like some kind of uh reserved like disappointment or something like that mm-hmm. um i don't know but yeah i love i love the the switch between color and black and white in that yeah. in that oh. scene so much
5: yeah i yeah what i was a that was a. I love how they don't even share the same like frame when he reaches out when Peter you know Falker yeah. reaches out his hand. And yeah, uh yeah. and then like you know that, that really that really um
2: exemplifies the uh separation between the two. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. And he and Cassiel even has like this look of extreme reservation and like mistrust even Yeah, mistrust, um, yeah. Yeah, in, in or, uh dis distrust, sorry, uh with uh yeah, with um I'm sorry, What's the? it's Peter what? Is that the other?
0: Peter Falk. Peter Falk? No, it's yeah.
2: f- Falk. Falk. Yeah, Falk? Yeah, right. Did I say
0: Falker? Um, yeah.
2: Did I do it twice? Yeah. I don't know. All right, uh, no, I should just leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but uh, yeah, I loved that. I loved that moment. Um, and and uh, speaking to the bleakness, it is interesting that you have this epic moment of synthesis and beauty and this monologue that Marion gives at this, uh, you know, seedy nightclub uh, rock rock house you know it's so dark um and yet we're being we're being given one of the most you know beautiful uh, soliloquies ever and um and uh i don't know they're, they're, it's just this moment of uh, synthesis between the bleak and the beautiful you know and we get this close-up of her face and she's so beautiful mm-hmm. with the red lipstick mm-hmm. marion's obviously so beautiful so i gotta say she is her. so beautiful um and uh and then you know soon after that you know right after that the scene of him uh, holding her up and you know uh uh you know damiel begins to speak about how he has essentially uh conformed to this uh this, or like adopted this role of like a synthesized life where he's going to give himself up to her like sacrifice for her and she's going to remain in this um you know this uh distant angelic state but also synthesized uh, appropriately with uh, the human world you know it feels like they both achieved some like perfect mediation between the two things that were pulling them away. Right. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. so and, good.
5: And, yeah. but it also so, like reaffirms that there is a necessary relationship between the two as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps we could talk about that scene because it's obviously insane. Um, I sort of disagree with the, I think, I don't know if it's a total disagreement, but I think the, the, the music area, the, the concert area is a lot is CD and kind of, um, has this grunge appeal and it's super embodied, right? Like you have uh Nick Cave who's like super mm-hmm. embodied and and mm-hmm. the dancing and stuff. And then they they switch into a totally different setting. I feel like it's it's much more up class and comfortable and cozy and warm lighting and That's true. and sets the scene as 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 David says in his in his essay. I, I believe it's an essay where he's uh, sort of it it it, it totally gets reframed as this romantic moment where everything right. makes sense is leading up to this thing and they're just brought together by forces they may not understand um yeah, but but if i can ramble for a moment okay so i'm not Yuck. actually okay before this film i wasn't um a big nick cave you know i wasn't cave pilled but <laughs> but uh so he's singing this song called uh from her to eternity and we actually hear the song as they begin to come together i, I think it I think it maybe drones out a bit and we get to her, you know, we, we we the audio gets isolated to her sort of uh monologue. But he's seeing the song, and the song is about um Nick and this woman lives above his apartment and he, he you know is infatuated with her. And uh and uh, he says, you know, uh, all through this lonesome night. So one, you know, we're gonna hear the word lonesome used by Marion, and that's gonna be important, right? But And he describes uh, his apartment in the song as um, like uh, the apartment is delivering to him all this sense information about the woman uh, above, right? Like her creaking and the stuff and and how he's so obsessed with trying to listen through the walls and stuff he's so obsessed with. But he says, anyway, he says uh, in the song, this desire to to possess her is a wound and it's nagging at me like a shrew, shrew, but I know that to possess her is therefore not to desire her. And so there's this distinction between desire and possession, which I think is interesting because of course, through Marion's monologue, uh uh she says, uh so she says, I dreamt of a stranger, of my man, right? Like it seems like sort of a possessive word. And maybe and as I was sort of noting this down, I wasn't sure if maybe I'm missing out on some important German connotation. Uh so maybe maybe I'm wrong there and and and, and David can help out, but uh, she says, uh, I dreamt of a stranger, of my man. Welcome him wholly into me. Surround him with the labyrinth of shared happiness or of bliss, perhaps, she says. And then uh, in the end sequence, where he's, uh, when she's uh, doing her thing, was it Trippies? She's, yeah. yeah, she's doing her thing. And, and he says, uh, Damiel says, I was in her and she was around me. Who in the world can claim that he was ever together with another being? I am together. So obviously there's a bunch of stuff happening here, but I found it interesting that, um, the dynamic they're engaging in that of man and woman. And this, this decision, all this thing is, is, is framed as him entering her. And there's this obvious, uh, like, uh, sexual imagery at play. Um, but like the, the, the nature of the discussion and the way it's being described sounds so, uh, like heady and conceptual, right? Talking about time and decision and ancestry and all these things. And yet it's like uh, the imagery is like super, um, like sort of like base and primitive, if you will, or something like this, like okay. just that of sex. Okay. And I don't know, I just thought it was so weird because it seems like in, in that imagery, it, it, it's sort of her possessing him, right? She surrounds him in a labyrinth uh, of bliss and, but then he frames it as being together. I don't know. I just thought there's something. I think there's something interesting with the, the, the the sort of sexual imagery being used, but it being framed within a very like conceptual framework of time and decision and the problem of, of choice and and. Anyway, I just thought that stuff was insane. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just I thought it was crazy. Well,
2: hard. I think uh, I think there is like some perfect chemistry between the two because I mean uh for he he in some sense has always desired to be in the labyrinth of like you know the human condition or something like that um and so he can find that embodied in her and she's always uh you know she she's felt relatively lost and worried that she's going to have to give up her um uh essentially her childhood and she laments over that for a while because her her dream was to be a trapeze artist and etc and Mm -hmm. so she's becoming aware of time and perhaps um it's 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 through like holding him as his childlike because uh, he represents some sort of childlike satisfaction with uh, the unknown in the world and potential and th- things like that, um, that by possessing him, uh, she's actually able to retain her uh, child uh, like dreams of the trapeze artist uh, artistry. So so he's and then so there, you know, and then it shows that the two link their desires through the rope that he holds up. Um, it seems. It seems like it, it maps pretty perfectly to their relationship, and and obviously to raw carnal sex between a man and a woman. Yeah, and she she ascends. She ascends, and he keeps her grounded right, to
0: the earth. Right. And, and she's to, the right, as a
2: child. Yeah, like he 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 acts as the childlike wonder that can ground one in like into uh you know uh the pleasures of like uh the like the The potential pleasures available to a child in terms of the unknown and and living and thriving in that environment whereas she gets to enjoy the um the process of ascension or something like that um oh yes yeah and it is the perfect
0: it is the perfect image i was talking about earlier about this desire to love and to uh, help realize the potential of someone else rather than right take them in as what can i get from this relationship and stuff right like he is so happy to be helping mm-hmm. her realize herself as this thing and, um, mm-hmm. oh, I just lost it. I had such a good thing. I forget.
1: You mean that he's holding the rope for her grounded and she's up uh, uh, at a higher elevation mm-hmm. performing? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, performing. Uh, yeah. The only other time, and you mentioned in your paper, and I thought that was really interesting. I didn't even notice it, but is when uh, Homer is ascending the steps right mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the library. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, but clearly there is some sort of yeah analogy between the you know his sort of desire to ascend into some immortal state as a storyteller. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, where where but but whereas his is, um, um, I, I would argue a little more tragic in the sense that it doesn't seem like he's going to find this uh this uh, perfect this perfect uh, synthesis between like you know the childlike wonder, but also this there's even like a a potential. Um, tragic, like narcissism, because he's referring to himself as the storyteller, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, so, so his is much more tragic, whereas she um, gets, you know, her 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 success is through Damiel's uh, ability to sacrifice and kind of commit to her, um, which I think. I think that's interesting. Yeah, right. But, but that they're both trying to ascend. Yeah, like um, Marion
4: and the other
1: guy. Well, I yeah. think her. Uh, I think Homer's tragedy is also bound up in history. He's trying to negotiate yeah. war and peace, and, and is not succeeding. He can't understand why peace has no enduring um, attractiveness, attraction to humans. There's yeah. there's never been an epic about peace. It's always been about war. And, um, so that's, that's the, the, this, the, those are the oppositions that he's struggling to, um, uh, to reconcile and probably won't. in, in during his lifetime, whereas with, with Marianne, you, I think you articulate very well this, her, her particular struggle, and she's negotiating that much more successfully with Damiel's help. And yeah. I think performance is a, is a part of that. I, I'm, I'm struck with, you know, I mean, she's not an angel, but she's probably the one human in the in the um uh cast who is not a former angel who's closest to being one and then they have peter falk who's also a performer and i think that mm, it's it's significant true. that the 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 movie scene um you know the the interaction at the movie uh location uh is followed immediately by the trap by the circus so um, Damiel takes Cassiel. he says, I want to show you something else. So he shows him this movie set, and then they go to the circus and see another performer. And I think it's that sort of um, artistic yeah. representation through performance, through acting, through um, aerial skills uh, that uh, allow humans to ascend to celestial heights of experience. yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: And yeah. and it's like the, it's a synthesis because it's like the conceptual embodied. It's like the, the idea of a character or whatever embodied by a person or the idea of an angel or whatever embodied by Marianne. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and there's something um, obviously fundamentally communicative about this thing and like Damiel is so interested in these like attempts at communication. Um, I do know, before we see you have something. I have a, I have a just just relate to the uh, cer-
2: just a very quick thing uh, related to the circus uh when Damiel, there's some sort of foreshadowing going on but of course it's also just a beautiful scene we get to see uh where you can actually like be awestruck as so when he walks up and he's uh he puts his arms or like he leans very closely into um the uh like ringleader of the circus who's who's like watch who's gazing upward at uh Marion. it's it's during the black and white during one of the first yeah. i think uh, the there's first the second performance the second black and white performance right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, right right and uh, and and he's looking up and he's like mouth agape, gape like blown away i see some sort of like uh you know i, I think i it, it may be during that also that uh uh as he leaves this oh no sorry that's earlier where they say uh, oh look a fallen angel uh-huh. you know they they foreshadow yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but but regardless though you you see in the end of the movie he adopts a similar role to what that ringleader was except mm-hmm. that he holds the rope right uh just this like this amazement upward you know towards towards this uh towards this angelic like you know person um which is i don't know interesting yeah
1: I, I saw that same connection i and i wondered if when he touches the uh the ringmaster on the shoulder if it wasn't sharing concern for her safety there is a support mm-hmm. but it's also um a wish for well-being
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what yeah, she's doing ringmaster. looks so dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. And she yeah. even has like a slight, a slight uh, blunder, just very brief, yep. right, mm-hmm. where the audience gasps, gasps, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, I think the ringmaster does seem very concerned, and it's sort of just another case where we've seen multiple examples throughout the film where the the angels provide a comforting uh, presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get too far away from this uh, this ending moment of connection with. Damiel and, and Marion. I wanted to ask you, David, because I feel like this um, this connection that they share, right uh, really like strikes it, it it makes me feel like the film suggests or it, it makes me feel that they have overcome the problem of separateness and, and intersubjectivity and and, and and problems like this. Um, but I'm not it, it doesn't seem totally clear to me why, or maybe possibly persuasive enough. Um, do, you, do you know what I mean by that?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I do, uh, that, that there is a kind of uh, suggestion in the film that uh, that falling in love, that a, that the, that a romance uh, can actually tr- help humans transcend their problems, that that's, um, that's what everybody's been looking for. You just have to find the right partner which in some ways almost trivializes everything you've just seen before that, or unrealistically elevates the importance of their relationship beyond something perhaps a little more banal that Nick Cave was singing about, he, hearing the creaks of the apartment upstairs. And I think vendors um, I don't know if it's it's fair to, um, to hang that on him as a, as a criticism or not, but I do think he was, um, he was using the, the male-female relationship, the cons- eventual consummation of that relationship as a symbolic um, uh, way of, 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 in- of vindicating reconciliation. And, I, and I, I tried to think of alternatives somehow, like, well, how else would he have represented the angels and the humans coming together or uh, uh, other, other major divisions and, and experience being reconciled like child and adult? And I think it's a probably a handy vehicle to use. It's a really yeah, beautiful yeah. scene in the bar. They're facing each other. They're looking into each other's eyes. It's a, always a two shot. It's, it's not a reverse you know, shot, reverse shot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, 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 I wondered about that too. And also the word desire in the title, which he deliberately chose for the um, American release of the film, the English language release of the film. Which in German is called the sky above Berlin, Daheim über Berlin, and um, you know that maybe he was injecting deliberately something's a little bit racy, a little bit carnal <laughs> into the <laughs> into the narrative. Um, but I, I've subsequently come around to seeing, you know, I think it actually is. It's a very I'm interested in what you folks think, but I, I think it's a very handy way, accessible way of of representing the uh, reconciliation of abstract distinctions that this film grapples with there's a real danger that this film could be inaccessible i think vendors was very worried about that and that's why he put peter falk in the movie It's just to give it some kind of like a little bit something a little less heavy a little more traditionally cinematic like a romance yeah
0: peter is a such an interesting character um
4: well,
1: I'll talk right
0: there, just real quickly. Are you familiar with the with Berkman's German language film from *The Life of the Marionettes*?
1: No, I'm not.
0: Oh, okay, that I just was. Uh, that's like I almost see this film as the to the solution that that film uh, a solution to the problem uh, described by that film. But that film mainly describes the problem of separateness and and mm-hmm. incommunicability between. Uh, people and lovers and things like this but uh-huh okay i'll have to follow up on that yeah but perhaps we should talk about fog we just want to
2: i i wanted to just comment on the the idea so like the only uh, of like alternatives i can really only like reasonably think of uh i mean it has to incorporate love you imagine mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so you can imagine an alternative where maybe there's some sort of parental love mm-hmm. where there's some sort of um coming to take care of something else maybe that could be an option um but uh no, I think I think in general, um, and one reason why this movie, you know, as as you put, you know, transcends postmodernism, is, uh, and this is like a, a you know a commonly understood idea, but that there, post, you know, post postmodernism is the whole point that you want to bring, like elevate a cliche into uh, its proper um, sanctity, right? Like there's there there the reason the love angle and the coming together feels cliche is because it's worked for so long in terms of, uh, uh, being so powerful as far as, far as, uh, synthesizing to, you know, abstract concepts. Right. Um, and, and so for a while we, we, we tried to do away with that, but I think that this movie, um, you know, transcends it by, by embracing that sort of cliche that, you know, love conquers all idea essentially, you know? Um, and I, and I think, uh, you know, or that through love is solace. Um, and I think it does it effectively, mm-hmm. you know?
5: Yeah. By Definitely it being a cliche, it. it is like it. It should be that it is. I don't know, like it is life affirming, like it, it is like legitimate in some sort of way. Um As compared yeah. to like yeah. just the absolute it, like de- deconstruction of it and disregard. Yeah, it it legitimizes
2: the
0: cliche, right? Like, yeah, and so and so yeah. it makes
2: us less pessimistic or cynical associated with
0: that cliche, right?
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. so There's now um, we can more properly embrace that lifestyle.
0: Or like another way of framing it, I think that's perfectly right. Like it it's it it persuasively legitimizes the, the transcendence of love, but importantly framed within a persuasively postmodern world. Because hmm. hmm. like you can imagine a lot of like films which like will, will will peddle the cliche are more modernist films. And uh and and here you have the and right, the synthesis and transcendence and it's and, persuasive and ped- enough. And
5: pedaling the cliche in a modernist film would be to like not even Engage with its sort of uh legitimacy. I don't know. I don't even know how to put it. Like its potential futility, something like that. Right. It, it, would, it, it, it would it would it right. would simply elevate it and then treat it as like this sanctity, without. Oh, I'm repeating myself. Oh. Yeah. Yeah uh, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: Peter Fox. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> really quick. Peter Fox. Oh.
2: How about how, about, how, how about how he says, uh, please no more pictures, to the, to the lady taking photographs of him as the, as the young boys discussing the Hitler script? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting, especially because we know Peter's so interested in drawings. So there's something something a, little, uh, yeah. a little, uh, something at work there. I don't there's know a, if anybody can dredge out an idea from that. Out.
0: I have a little bit from that. We have we're just Peter Falk, opening lines. I don't even understand this character (laughs) it's amazing how little i know about this part maybe we'll discover it during the shoot i'll get a good costume that's half the battle and then uh, (laughs) shortly after he says you stumble over your colors which i think is relevant given now we know he's a fallen angel right and he's like very concerned with his ability to to engage with color um and he's he's uh right after right before we see right before we meet peter uh, a little girl is on the plane drawing And the stewardess says, that's a good picture. Hmm. Uh, just right, the child's drawing is good and he thinks his isn't, and stuff like this. But in terms of that little interaction, I was confused about the why the photography thing, but I thought the conversation he has with the little boy was interesting in that they talk about he the little boy's telling him about some book or some other story where there's some Hitler thing and blah blah blah. And and yeah, and and Falk is like, I don't find this very believable, but But the kid says, "Well, it's better than you know the movie we're making," or maybe Peter says it. And uh, but Peter says this line, where he says, "Look, kid, like they'll come up with any reason to have a detective story, right?" And yeah. it's war, right? And like just like Homer talks about, and I, we definitely need to get to Homer, but um, right, like they 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 will they sort of trivialize it, maybe this war story, just so they can nestle in this investigative thing. But any investigator story is a story of problems, is a story of a war of minds, is a story of you know, uh, evil doing and escape and and cat and mouse and things like this. I thought that was, I mean, it, it fits well with with Homer's um, plight of sorts having to do with peace and wartime. Yeah. yeah, I love Peter plays himself and doesn't know how to do it, and uh, <laughs> that's also kind of like Nick Cave only has one line really other than a song, but it's like don't say, I forget what he says, but he's like, don't say it's about a girl. Don't say it's about a girl. And then he's like, this mm-hmm. is a song about, a oh, I want to tell you about a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, sort of just like Peter, somewhat concerned with his, that he's fallen into this sort of very character-esque, like this, uh, uh what would it be like a trope or whatever, this well-defined character that, he, you know, like, uh, you know, everyone talks to him like he's Columbo, right? And he's yeah. like, am I a better actor now than I used to be? Like, am I good at this? Like, you know, all this stuff. So I, Mm-hmm. I love, but Peter does, like you were saying, David, really provide a much more casual, comforting, relatable uh, presence in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really it
1: me. sort of humanizes the the idea of uh, of angels. Even fo- even former angels can be interesting characters. They're not out of reach. They're not untouchable or unapproachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do
5: love that he's uh, like obsessed with like drawing like people mm-hmm. and these like little characters that he makes and it, it really like I don't know. I just I just I just really love that like that's his thing and it it really emphasizes his like childlike nature that he's sort of um trying to remain in or maybe even like can't escape out of maybe
1: mm-hmm.
2: I actually see him as you know you know he he has fallen he has experienced uh humanity and he and uh, uh uh you know he he's always thinking like oh maybe this drawing sucks you know but whatever you know and and he's and he's uh he's not essential he's not he's not exactly uh depressed or cynical necessarily um in fact you know he advocates for other people to take the plunge as well right um which is why, which is why, by the way, I, there was a moment where I think of him as, you know, almost, you know, satanic temptation coming along uh, because he, he did come across as cynical at first to me. And, and like, uh, he's like, uh, uh, yeah, the first time we see him in the movie set, or, or yeah, we, we see him, like, um, mm, the way he talks about how it probably doesn't matter, this drawing probably sucks, you know, I need a good hat. I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, it, it it's it's not like this uh childlike glee that uh Damiel has because obviously um Peter's lived in the world uh for longer so that perhaps the childlike glee has kind of worn away. Um uh yeah, that's why the fir- you know, my first inkling was that it was a uh kind of a attempt a dangerous lie that he was telling people to get them to come, but I think over I think ultimately it, I wiped that conception away
1: um yeah. just
2: based on how the movie resolves itself and yeah the characters develop
4: could he be in some sense like bored with the uh, uh i don't know how to describe it like the human uh like mundaneness to his job similarly mm-hmm. to the angels uh damiel he's he gets sort of uh he, he What makes him want to take the plunge could there be a i
0: I think possibly but i think his engagement with that like the mundane or the trivial is part of like uh his mission to like engage with humanity or like human experience um Mm -hmm. but it's hard to recall like my conception of him before knowing uh he was an angel but yeah like it does seem like uh Right, yeah, he's like accessible, he's much more human than Angel, and um, yeah, like he, he's he's but, he's annoyed, he's concerned, he doesn't, you know, whatever. And it's like it, it to, to just be pure Damiel, you know, goodness, childlike wonder all the time, wouldn't be exactly like uh, the human experience or something. And like Damiel wants him to tell him everything, and he's like, You have to figure it out, you know, you yeah. have to actually. Like to truly take the plunge is to like you know to truly engage with the, i don't know the human experience yeah but and like mm-hmm. to me there's
5: something about him that like really does still love like the human experience because you know he's sort of like talking about like how great you know the the coffee and the cigarette is you
4: know and rubber no you yeah line.
0: you got another line you i know.
4: agree with going. that but that was all like <laughs> physical uh you know feeling and 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 touch Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know what Stephen brought up with, like, w- with the hat and with the with the story, it's all kind of like, I guess, maybe because he was an angel, he already knows all this, all this, what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know.
1: Well, I think they're both, uh, both Falk and Damiel acutely aware of, of what, uh, of the inadequacies of their worlds. So, you know, Damiel is very uh aware that he doesn't know what a cigarette tastes like and so mm-hmm. forth or what it, what love feels like mm-hmm. and falk is very uh, aware of he's he's not totally confident in his acting ability he's wondering if he's gotten better uh he says this drawing stinks at one point yeah. you know yeah. uh and he can't find the right hat and uh, there's a certain sort of tedium to playing one detective role after the other, yeah. and 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 so I think they're both. That, that's part of the that both both worlds have their inadequacies. Neither of them is, is perfect, and they both both Falk and Damiel express that. Well, hmm. well, you know, not abandoning their choices at all. They're, yeah, they're not yeah, second yeah. guessing their their decisions. Right.
0: right. Yeah, and that reminds me too of something you said. Stephen earlier about like i don't necessarily disagree i don't i don't know if i totally think that cassiel is like disapproving of daniel's work and um i, don't know, I think this is what you're saying and i think you mentioned it in your paper david just that there, there is no real supremacy granted to the, the human life versus the angel other than the yeah. fact that we are pleased that the human life is um sort of validated (laughs) given Mm -hmm. that it's all we got but um (laughs) maybe you but and then just a quick note or just on that thing i just want to mention that i thought um in in the paper there's a question of uh like uh their relationship and it doesn't seem to be a super uh like tumultuous or emotional ending and maybe maybe they aren't capable of such strong emotions but we do know that they are as you note and i just thought it was so um I just felt that their, their friendship had been so literally eternal that, like, this is mm-hmm. how one would say goodbye to another, that they, uh, absent of time concerns, like, like you would, I don't know, you'd let them, you know, I don't know, uh, like you'd let them go or something like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, significant, I think, that he carries uh, Damiel, that there's mm-hmm. a, one brief shot of of them mm-hmm. in, in No Man's Land, you know, between the two worlds, the, the East and the West. And uh, so when he becomes a human, it's Kassiel who carries him uh, to the place where he wakes up and is hit by the breastplate. Yeah. So there, I- there's a kind of touching intimacy to that farewell, I think, yeah. You know, but we can't expect too much of it. You're right, yeah. You know, they're not capable of that.
0: And that no man's land is so interesting too. Like it's the only time we are on the other side of the wall
1: uh there's one brief time when you do see a street shot in East Berlin mm. when they walk through the wall.
0: And I, I just wonder um, the fact that the East doesn't figure in hugely is uh, perhaps not, like somewhat interesting. And like West Berlin is sort of like this walled in nature almost. It reminds me of like I don't know, just mortality and and, and having the well defined and you know it's on the other side of the wall. But what do, you, what do you have, Stephen? Uh,
2: yeah, I just wanted to say that I had no point. Said or thought that Cassiel disapproved of Damiel's decision uh-huh. um, because they are such great friends and he can obviously relate to the desire that Damiel has. Uh, but that ultimately, the same reason Cassiel doesn't take the plunge like Damiel does is because he, 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 doesn't. You know, one, you know, he hasn't fallen in love, and two, there is some sort of distrust still in him. And I think that the scene uh, where they, uh, where Peter reaches out for a handshake, you know, his. Distance from the handshake and look of reservation certainly displays some level of distrust of that temptation, um, or not buying into that. But not that he, you know, dislike. You know, he doesn't hope. You know, fault his friend for it, though.
0: Yeah, I and think. he says he says we must remain serious. Uh, hmm. Like you see, like it's it, it's dutiful, and maybe worth noting. I don't know, but they they mention when they're after the the primordial river conversation that there there's too few angels left or not left mm. but there's always been too few and now like the numbers are dwindling so maybe Fonk does serve as the sort of temptation and it is comical that he says the exact same line to yeah, castiel yeah. And, like reframes it's like maybe maybe right. Falk is just he really is just the snake in the tree like he he's just trying to not 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 for bad motivation certainly good i i i, I imagine but um yeah castiel maybe sees him more as like a attempting against the seriousness but it's notable that Marion describes their transcendent connection as it's time to become serious yeah uh, there's there's something well ah i lost well, it
2: well i mean it's it's only through it's only through uh Damiel, Damiel that she can even that she can uh, maintain her ascent which has always been her arc is to somehow mediate this childlike thing that's dwindling, and so through their combination, she can achieve. If we equate seriousness to uh, angelic ascent or something like that, she does achieve that through Damiel, um, you know, or at least as close as she can. Um, yeah, I, I think I think yeah. it's consistent. Yeah. I'd say I'd say through relationships and through maybe even
5: desire itself. Relationships in particular um, is like the human beings. Uh, most straightforward or only path towards ascension, towards sort of, like, this transcendence. And I think, like, there's a lot of reasons with that. Like, I think, like, a dedicated relationship, like, has to do with, like, you know, time even, in the sense that it's, like, it, it has to be set forth in a way that it maintains longevity in a way that, like, other relationships
0: don't. Yeah, part of that I think is the, the essential property of choice, and uh, just before I forget, I forgot earlier, Stephen, when you were talking about or you and Dave were talking about uh, possible alternative uh, oh, yeah. situations of how this this moment could have taken shape, um, right? The child would be another case of chance, so to say, like like who your child is is not exactly up to you. It's not this pure. Uh, realization of choice and decision. You know what I mean? Um
4: Right. But... Like
0: the, the 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 true pure unadulterated choice, so to say, would be this coming together moment. This is just I wanted to bring that up earlier and I forgot. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh I see okay yeah you know I mean you're saying you yeah, am going to have it you, like, you say you brought but, up a child right right no 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 right no no yeah I'm imagining like an adoption scenario or like a, like you like 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 you see somebody on the street who's <laughs> in some sort of problem state and then you bond with them that was the imagination mm-hmm. I, like that I was, I was trying to conceive of an alternative yeah right. like yeah fostering a love for something and then through that a transcendence you know but, I love and
0: fuck gives the cigarette yeah Yeah. his goofy coat his
5: goofy coat you know um i don't know maybe when i was watching it, i was like super off base or something but when he was like you know walking around in his goofy coat and his hat and you know he looks he looks very childlike something that i i it's like i don't even know why i felt this like so strongly was like you know something about him being an angel and it it's like has this like seriousness to it. And then once he like goes into human, like I almost, I see him as totally different, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: there's kind of a bounce to um, a step too. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it,
5: it, and he looks so, so silly. It's, it's really, really well done. How, how well communicated that was even just when I was watching it. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, maybe I'm like some sort of cynic or something, but when I, I thought he was just going to totally flop, like with the, with the woman um he's just gonna like you know start I, running at
2: her and you know and God, just how, like, lazy, guy. How, how unfortunate the movie would have been if <laughs> that God. happened God
5: i mean yeah
1: just, you gotta stop thinking true. in postmodernist terms yeah <laughs>
5: yeah I've, I've
0: been poisoned <laughs> yeah the recent films we've been watching have, have definitely uh, infiltrated your mind
5: yeah we've been yeah, watching like, some pretty uh yeah like beaver cd a... where she just like just just gets <laughs> shot and like that's the end of the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, he is so cute. <laughs> when, he, when he's a human, he double-fists the coffee. Yeah, when he, yeah, when kind of he chugs the tries, coffee. He drinks it, and then he, it seems like he's like, oh, I'm going to try one-handing it. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so awesome. "Yeah, Yeah, so
1: awesome. A, a little bit like the kids in a circus stand yeah, who rush for the balloons after the performance. Yeah. It's, it's a sheer yeah, yeah. joy of uh, of that kind of tactile experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's so
3: great. Uh, if I could mention a moment that I found kind of interesting is um, when Daniel and Cassiel are kind of reminiscing about like their whole existence I um, found it interesting that they they learn to speak from uh, from people uh, mm-hmm. like from humans or whatever and that like their existence is like like that they, they exist in some kind of like pure consciousness or something like this but that they're like any any kind of content is only like made up of description of, of the humans, and that like their relationship they don't exist like they they exist like before humans, but they don't. There's no like content to them. Like their content is only made up of of
4: uh, mm.
3: like descriptions. I just I thought that was interesting that their relationship with humans is not uh, one way. It's not just heaven down. You know
5: like yeah back and forth. yeah or like you know side to side maybe lateral
0: <laughs> yeah uh, Should
1: uh we, um, go ahead. Oh, in the conversation uh about uh whether recalling uh past times including primordial times it, i had the impression that they were sort of anxiously awaiting the appearance of humans on the scene you know finally we're here finally we have a, a, a bipedal creature uh, uh, who, after whom we we're modeled? I think was the word, or after we were modeled after that uh, creature. So that mm-hmm. there was a sort of a, a loneliness that was met by being able to witness the appearance of of sentient beings other than fish flopping in the in mm-hmm. the primordial waters, and then the development of language, and then the development of war, and then he yeah. says, you know, and we're still in that phase.
0: Yeah, I think they say, uh, uh, "Finally, yeah, once the bipedal arrived, finally we could laugh." Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: which was interesting, is that they they wanted it so bad but had no uh, something about inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that
3: that kind of goes to them being like total, uh, total lack or whatever.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, like mm-hmm.
3: that, that. Any that any kind of. subject.
0: And I do like that, even though this likeness thing, where it says, um, "I'm trying to, I'm pulling up the the line here, where the the bipedal arrives." I think they use the word "our light." Like, oh, the biped appeared our long-awaited likeness. Ah. Uh, is at least how the transcription I'm reading, here, mm-hmm. it, it says, but the Criterion, yeah, the Criterion subtitles. Um, Was it a or o or are merely a grown? Yeah, ooh, I just that's very funny. Uh, it doesn't seem to undermine. Any concern about like, uh, in my mind, Damiel's suicide of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't it doesn't like um, make it seem like oh well, there's this whole <laughs> deep lore like this god lore and it's gonna be fine and oh. blah blah blah. Like the, it, the mystery still awaits. It's
5: mm-hmm. worth noting, by the way, that um, I'm not I'm not gonna remember the names. the The angel that didn't turn into human. Costume. uh is the one that uh saw the suicide which i assume is a suicide yeah Yeah. So, I, um, I would
3: like to talk about the moment right here now, i go
0: but well. why
5: okay well i was just i was just gonna mention that like it sort of plays into <laughs> his skepticism with turning into human you know he's more engaged with its uh tragedy mm-hmm. um and it's put and its downfalls uh yeah. more than any more than um, yeah, the and other and one. Damiel. Yeah. And, yeah.
3: No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I mean the, the, the time that they how they spend their time as angels and like what they choose to um like engage with and the people they listen to. Like Damiel is like walking around listening to kids, you know? Mm. And and, and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> that's then, right. And Cassiel and Cassiel is like in the taxi cab with this man who is having this very like uh i mean describing like the ultimate problem of separateness in berlin or whatever right um,
1: and reliving world war Two bombing raids yes
0: oh my gosh the yes, dead yes. children is so yeah. devastating oh my gosh what's um
2: what's interesting though is uh when damiel damiel is there to comfort the person who's just been in an automobile accident or motorcycle accident right and he's dying mm-hmm. um and uh he and first off there's the mention of Camus, but whatever um (laughs) right after you know he he is touching him and you know comforting him like this but he leaves as soon as the other person arrives Hmm. um you know and i found that interesting that he that he completely exits the uh the scenario um maybe it's simply because the other person's there to comfort him and so he's not needed but uh, the other take might be that he vacates uh, before the person's last breath, just because, like, there's some sort of um, maybe even like a selfishness to the maintenance mm-hmm. of the uh, maintaining of the fantasy, or like the unwillingness to really, you know, sit there through the whole gruesome end. Of course, yep. he's an angel. Yeah. and We can yeah. assume he he's probably well, experienced that. So, but
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. he also,
3: yeah, he also doesn't like uh, uh, we me and Troy had kind of a discussion about this about like the the film's uh kind of thesis or like point or whatever about death like how how it felt about it and um we're talking about that with the the motorcycle accident um he he damiel kind of takes away from him like this last like regret or whatever and gives him some kind of peace we were kind of discussing like it's an interesting choice of damiel to do that because uh it it might not actually i mean i don't know i think there's definitely a relevant view to that to let someone have like the final like desperate moment or something is is
0: uh the right thing or whatever mm-hmm. um yeah there's something i i'm trying to pull up some evidence here i i could have sworn that there is a sequence later in the film that uh, sort of mirrors this uh, just mentioning of the things in life that are very pleasant. Um, yes, it does... Uh, I can't exactly recall, but right, yeah, he starts to like... He, Damiel starts speaking these nice things and the man picks up and, and keeps going where Damiel left off. And it's just the almost like the things worth living for, like the, the, the best things in life. And I, worth mentioning, I find them all so persuasively nice. They are so... They make me feel so good, but I, I could have sworn there's another part later in the film the, where they're all
2: they're also geographic. Sorry, go on though. Like, go yeah, on. yeah, you yeah. They're you're all outside. like embodied.
0: They're all of the body. It's it, maybe not Camus, but um, hmm. anyway, I'm trying to find it in the in the script right now. But I could have sworn there was another sequence where there's just this uh, another moment of just mentioning these things. I'm trying to trying to draw the connection, but I can't find the place. Maybe I'm wrong take my schizo pills
2: you know i i thought it was interesting that what what he continues saying um to the to the to the dying person or what the dying person continues where damio uh leaves him with is like these mentionings of like what is it? it's like the lakes in the north or something like that or like the forests in the north and it's all these, it's uh he talks about all these locations to the west to the east to the north that's right yeah, yeah, um, Boathouse on the Lake,
0: the Southern Cross, the Far East, the Great North, the Wild West, yeah. the Great Bear Lake, yeah. Mississippi Delta, Stromboli. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so... is Stromboli
0: just... an artist, right? Oh,
2: I'm not sure. Perhaps. Sounds like a city or a there's nice sausage.
0: I'm coming up with an easy, <laughs> str- easy Stromboli reference, or recipe. Right, I it
2: oh, yeah, well, never mind then. But, yeah, I thought the East, North, South thing was... Wild
1: Yes, it's really not unlike what uh, Adamiel fantasizes about. To, to you know the the things he desires about human life. So in in, right. in some ways it's kind of a pleasant, you know, unfortunate but a pleasant way to to exit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that and that he has um, pleasing thoughts, not pain or fear at the end. But uh, when you're talking about the suicide and the association of Cassiel with the suicide on the uh, building on the Kurfürstendamm. The, um, that That's where, for me, the film touches the social reality of Berlin, getting back to that homage to Berlin to a kind of portrait of a city. Um, yeah. In the, you know, before unification, Berlin was an island, West Berlin was an island surrounded by, by East Germany, um, very isolated. Um, it was, uh, it had the highest suicide rate in Europe. It was really not a very happy place, even though it was a happening place with a lot of cultural, you know, a lively cultural underground and so forth. Um, And I think the film captures that, that that that's the reality um, of that city, of that population, that angels actually do have a lot of misery to observe and to try to comfort in their own inadequate way. So, you know, Domiel succeeds at one point in the subway when he puts his hand on the shoulder of this one fellow who's very despondent talking about how his children only mm. hear his uh, language defect he has a speech impediment mm-hmm. um and then he kind of perks up and says oh well i'm here i'm i can i maybe i can still make it and cassio does not succeed with the man on the building he he, mm-hmm. he jumps mm-hmm. Yeah. You know?
4: mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's interesting the man on like he has the he has his earbuds in and he's just sort of uh like his mind is whirling Observing his sensations, the crackling under my feet, there's gravel. what are these people? he get, mentions like, this they mentions the hear? colors
5: as well. He mentions the colors of like yeah. why the red socks with these shoes? Or yeah, that was like. stupid,
0: yeah, blah 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 yeah. and he he has like you know uh here I go, but why um, yeah, definitely a sense of isolation, and like he's like literally uh fenced off from the other people,
1: um. Mm-hmm there's a kind of entrapment there that i sort of find analogous to the what the angels are feeling or at least damiel's feeling sort of trapped mm-hmm. in this um world that he can't he, he'd like to venture out and experience something different and i think that sort of mirrors the berlin isolation the west berlin isolation
4: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and then after when when it seems like i think it's directly afterwards when cassiel uh jumps off the monument um Uh, and, 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 and comes in and, 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 where he jumps off and he, you see him like spliced in with lights flashing on his face, perhaps as he's falling, uh, all these visions of, of Berlin and it's sort of just very nightmarish Mm -hmm. and consumerist. And it just remind it, it, it it felt to me like a huge, um, like the ailments of modernity Mm -hmm. and it almost reminded me of like, um, do you know the, the Austrian filmmaker, uh, Hanukkah, Mikhail Hanukkah. Yeah, uh huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, his, uh, have you seen um the Seventh, his, the Seventh Continent?
1: No, I'm most familiar with The White Ribbon.
0: Oh, incredible film. But, uh, we need to get to that one real bad. I love it. But, uh, his, his debut film, uh, Seventh Continent, is just this, like, ultra focused piece on, like, modernity uh-huh. and something. Anyway, this reminded me a lot of it. But yeah, like, you're, you're going through Berlin, you're seeing TVs and ads and people desperate like just um uh, i don't know i feel like he it almost is toned down so as to not be as terrifying as the thing it alludes to mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is a truly uh it is a notable uh distinctive section of the film right. of, of of despair like a yeah. much more intense right. rapid schizophrenic despair as opposed to like the, the opening yeah. Yeah, despair yeah, yeah. of the people mm-hmm. well i was going to
3: say that the to contrast uh the the kid's suicide right before his is like uh like the the human um like condition or whatever is one of like total enclosure in one's head and and this like this like monologue of his sensory experience or whatever and blah 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 it's very like isolated and subjective and then when cassiel kind of like emulates the suicide or whatever by like jumping off it's like the uh his is like the complete opposite it's like some kind of uh, like as you said almost like schizophrenic like manic uh uh hugeness to to the suffering or whatever it's like everything at the same time mm-hmm. um yeah because you yeah, see yeah, him like... and
0: he's just i think he has a relatively straightforward like blank face mm-hmm. like almost like yeah, and... he wants to understand Right, like it's another moment of disconnection of like uh he wants to feel the weight of this event or something i don't
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and like the intercutting of like the the war footage as well. Uh, yeah, I just I I like this like distinction between like the the angels' experience versus like the humans' experience of like suffering and how yeah. how it is mm-hmm. received. And then what's like, in? Bring it...
2: oh, go ahead. Stephen. Um, what might be interesting to note is that uh, we imagine that we are in like Cassiel's subjectivity during this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. Um, uh, and so there's something interesting that the world of the angels is not this pulled back view necessarily. Instead we're given this very subjective view of what it's like to be an angel given these constraints to their ability to feel an emotion and things like that. Whereas you can envision a scenario where you where you make this film, um, but you' you have a, a much more detached um, um, yeah, uh, viewpoint whenever we're, whenever you're discussing the angels or whenever you're seeing the angels. Um. Yeah. So so it is. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's. I don't know. Just fun. Fun that we got to see the experience of what it is to be the angel, and of course, like that's so important to the uh, overarching juxtaposition between human experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know. And yet, it still is human vision that's seeing that because that's all we have.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. There's something. There's something interesting about uh just like the the project to uh make a film in which you like you capture like what it is to be what it would be to be an angel or whatever Mm -hmm. except like we're limited to to Mm -hmm. the the sensory or whatever Mm -hmm. and the
0: the written word Mm -hmm. yeah it opens up with the eye the eye opens Mm -hmm. and dissolves into the city and
1: And then it it closes with the tribute to three filmmakers
4: yeah
0: Mm -hmm. that's right Tarkovsky
1: Ozu, Ozu Truffaut uh, So and him. in fact he, he I think he says uh, for for the for three angels he, he calls them angels mm-hmm. yeah. those three yeah, filmmakers. Derek so, suggests. that you know cinema is perhaps the filmmaking is perhaps a, a window into another world Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Former. Yeah. He calls them former. Angels. Former angels, right? Yeah.
1: So they this pres- presumably are like Peter Falk, right? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's so good.
0: What a yeah! What a wonderful idea. I I love it because I love film and anything that makes film look good. <laughs> <I'm with> it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know. There's I don't. What? You know, I got I, I got kooky
5: ideas about film. I want I want to mention yeah. Like fifteen minutes, maybe, maybe a little more, before we hit the two-hour mark. Oh, what? We're at one forty-four. All right, maybe we can, recording.
0: maybe we can have a rapid. We don't have to. It doesn't have to be super strict, but I feel like we should. Oh, there's so much not talked about uh, per usual, but uh, I think Homer is a worthwhile character to maybe talk about, or does anyone have any uh, particular things they want to bring up? I mean, I can't. Well,
3: I don't know since we're so short on time do you want to just move to some kind of more general discussion about film i mean steven you had like a very particular question for for
0: david oh
2: yeah we can do that yeah okay Yeah, yeah yeah uh i like to ask this of everybody but uh david um was there a particular film a first film uh or film experience you know it doesn't have to be the greatest film ever Uh, according to you, it's just whatever the experience was while watching a film that uh, revealed to you that film has potential, like huge potential beyond what, like, maybe consumer media or beyond whatever, like, you know, uh, other conceptions of what film can be. uh, Something that really, like, spoke to you. Do you have an example of a moment like that
1: from your life? Oh, that's a good question. I think of... uh... The first time I saw Charles Lawton's only film, um, The Night of the Hunter, in 1954, um, that film really speaks to me still. And I think it's something that kind of hooked me into pursuing film in a more serious way. Um, and now that I think about it, it actually has some similarities to Wings of Desire, in that it's a film that tries to straddle, uh, have one foot in the childhood experience and one foot in the adult experience Mm. and uh, tries to reconcile those two worlds and the mistrust that exists uh, among children uh, toward adults who are not always trustworthy. And just beautifully shot and cinematically, Lillian Gish in one of her later roles is in the film holding a lantern. Uh, in a screened-in back porch and holds the lantern up at night and the uh, glow of the lantern reflects off of the uh, metal uh, screen and during that brief second of, of invisibility um, outside the porch, Robert Mitchum as the bad guy is able to sneak up to the house and i just thought you know no other, no other art form could convey that uh that that particular uh brief plot advancement visually it said just said mm-hmm. so much it was so very very simple practical but elegant that's one that i yeah. recall yeah that's awesome you
2: said you said you said night hunter uh, no who? it's
1: called the, the night of the hunter Oh, The Night of the, the Hunter. The Night of the Hunter, yeah. If, I, I recommend it. Um, it didn't get great reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a big Charles Lawton fan. Of course, most of his work was in acting. But he did direct one film, and that and I thought he did a very good job with that. It's very um, informed by German expressionism in its style, um, and um, also film noir.
4: Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you yeah. say that mark, so that mark, like a yeah, then I I knew I haven't seen it, but it's um, it's on the BFI, like sights and sounds critics poll, that's where i But that marked a pretty, you'd say, like a distinctive moment, yeah. for you and your in your film, yeah,
1: your attitude towards film. It did, yeah, mm-hmm. about, about the the potential of film to communicate visually with its own language. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
1: awesome.
0: That's fantastic. So what else, uh, what, uh, are there any other films like Wings of Desire where you have done more substantial investigation than, than one would normally do with a film and, and like, uh, I suppose, how, how much does Wings of Desire stand out to you within the world of the, of world cinema?
1: Mm, it stands out uh, uh, quite uh, distinctly for me at the time in the 80s it was really a remarkable film and it, there was some discussion a few years later of uh, magical realism <laughs> and you know <laughs> and, and films in the 90s sort of dip, delved into that this is i think a precursor of that kind of style but nobody knew quite what to do with this movie when it first came out uh, a film with angels in it and some people viewed it as a film as a religious film and sort of tried to avoid <laughs> it or downplay it for but it isn't. I mean, there's a spirituality in the film, but it's that's not. Uh, it, it's not a preachy film. It's not advancing any sort of um, yeah. you know did that, any, any kind of uh, doctrine, and yeah. um, and I, and I think you know, it melds this sort of division of the world into the into East and West, uh, which of which Ber, where Berlin was at the front. It was the front line of that. Um, between adulthood and childhood, man and woman, black and white color, drawing, writing—I I, I just find it so deep and so fascinating that I think it towers above a lot of <laughs> other films that I, you know, that I that I've seriously dealt with. But I have also dealt with some of the early cinema, which I think uh, just by virtue of the pioneering involved in that, maybe has certain kind of similarities to the kinds of uh, risks that Wings of Desire took. So, so some of not <clears throat> excuse me, F.W. F. Mornow's work, for example, in the 20s really grips me and really fascinates me. I'm particularly fond of um, The Last Laugh, 1924.
0: Mm. I haven't heard that one. I always, people always talk about Sunrise.
1: Sunrise is also a beautiful film. That's his first American film, yeah. Mm.
5: I have a bit of a technical question. and Hopefully this is relevant. But um, in my... So we mentioned previously how this is, uh, you know, like maybe a post-postmodern film or a, you know, transcends postmodernism in a way. <clears throat> and I was wondering, like, how much had postmodernism had uh, had been, like, a hold of the culture uh, in, I guess it would be Germany, but I guess, you know, in the, in the West, just generally speaking um when this film uh was released uh because in my mind like for some reason like postmodernism as like a cultural force is like a 90s thing mm-hmm. but i suppose that's probably wrong
1: well it it, it was it was early stages of <clears throat> interest in postmodernism and and when this film came out so it was very much part of the discourse but i think you're right the peak of that discourse was a few years later
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
5: And so it's, you know, it really speaks to the film that it is like, already starting to transit transition out of it mm-hmm. and to transcend it, you know, before it is even taken a full cultural hold. I think it
1: looked forward to beyond that cultural hold and a lot of people yeah. uh, who wrote about Wings of Desire early on used as as a way uh, as a means of promoting their own interest in <laughs> in postmodernism i don't mean to sound unkind but it's like see the postmodernism is, is a thing look at this film mm-hmm. by vendors but really vendors mm-hmm. was saying well yeah but <laughs> it's not just that and we're gonna move out of it yeah, yeah 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 that's really good
0: that magical realism reference i love uh the uh i mean it's Worth, maybe worth mentioning because he 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 dedicates it to Tarkovsky as well as others uh are you familiar with Tarkovsky's final film uh The Sacrifice
1: yes I have seen that I'm not intimately familiar with it but I know what you're oh. talking about yeah
0: well it just seems like it, it fits I'm it fits within that magical realism mm-hmm. sort of frame right. really well and that's great that this uh comes out to that. I had not put that.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good connection, actually. Yeah. I can see how vendors would have, uh, yeah, appreciated that.
0: So uh, maybe another question. At the end of your paper, you write, considering the astounding changes occurring in recent years and the real possibility of a reunified Germany and a unified Europe, it appears that European civilization may again be undergoing what Thomas Kuhn called the paradigm shift. While redrawing political boundaries or collapsing distinctions between capitalism and communism do not, in themselves, constitute a paradigm shift, they may be metaphors for the dissolving of old habits of mind. In the wings of desire, Vendors and Hanke not only resolved some of the problems in their cinematic art, but apparently participated in historic changes as these began to occur. So I feel like there's um, there's a hint of a of a prediction nestled in there about um, right? This film as right, as, as foreseeing what's to come and, uh, and a vision of Europe in the future. And, you know, looking back, this paper uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but this was written and published in 91. Uh, what, do, you, do you think that that has sort of borne true throughout time? Like, do, do you see uh, this vision of, of optimism becoming real or, or the opposite?
1: uh- No, I, I think it's real I, I, I only um, realized after the opening of the wall and the unification of Germany uh, how how prophetic wings of desire was. <laughs> and that's kind of what sparked my interest in going back to it. Uh, but I think that it was it turns out in my mind to have been part of a, a, a spec a, a sort of s- spectrum of films and art that progress beyond that trajectory uh, toward a a more unified Europe, a more unified world, overcoming these divisions of the 20th century. Um, If you look at his next film, Far Away So Close, which is the film in which uh, Otto Zander who played Casio gets to trot out his ideas for what a fallen angel is like, uh, which are different from Damiel's. Um Mikhail Gorbachev has a bit part in the film. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think what, what Venders was is doing is he's always he's always he has this very lofty, aesthetic, beautiful artistic ideas that he brings to the screen but they never really lose touch with the the ground at, the, below the, the political reality the social reality of what people are going through what nation states are uh, engaged in with each other and um it, uh, you know maybe overstretched maybe stretching the point a little bit but i'm wondering if he isn't thinking of people like like gorbachev you know as these mediators that helped overcome these these divisions as being a kind of angelic force in humanity.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, could we could we ask if you uh, wholeheartedly recommend Far Away So Close because we uh, yeah we've heard bad anxieties things. yeah we've we've had anxieties yeah. about the uh, the tone and stuff straying so far from the uh, the original work of like Wings of Desire mm-hmm. and such that we were, yeah. we were kind of nervous
0: to watch it in the first place. Well, I've heard it's a sort of greatest hits. Of Wings of Desire, and then not done so well, but it is Beam, so
1: we still. Well, oh, it's worth seeing. I, I I share your skepticism about the film. <laughs> I don't uh, find it nearly as accomplished a work as Wings of Desire, and uh, although I find uh, parts of it very compelling and interesting. Um, I do find that he's sort of repeating, to some extent, things that worked well in Wings of Desire, but that um, don't necessarily um, are are they're not adaptable to this updated context. For for example, replacing Peter Falk Horse Horst Buchholz, uh who's acted in both the United States. He's a German actor, but he's acted in the United States as well, and he plays a gangster. and And so, I, I think that um, there are a lot of uh, aspects of the film that seem forced to me, uh, that I never feel like with Wings of Desire. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: No, we'll have to, we'll have to give it a watch regardless. I think we should, I think we
5: should hop into ratings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait, last question. Have you seen Until the End of the World? Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh,
0: did you watch, do you know which cut you watched?
1: No, I don't remember now.
0: (laughs) Was it crazy long or not?
1: It was crazy long. (laughs) <laughs>
0: okay do you like it i've been yeah i, li- john, I, didn't you? I actually like
1: that film quite a lot yeah
0: tanner didn't you say did you see it or you were going to see it or you bought it or something
4: um i have not seen it i thought no, i thought you know i, I think that's maybe john right didn't no, i thought i had no. a conversation but i, like I a road intended
3: film. i intended i intended on watching it because i was so enamored with uh wings of desire and uh, Paris, Paris, Texas. Texas. Yeah. For so, some reason, I, 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 yeah, I never got around Paris. to it. For some reason, Paris, I thought Texas you owned it.
4: it. I don't know why.
3: Mm. Yeah, Paris, Texas is the coziest film of all time.
0: So good. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> so a big good. Paris, Texas fan myself, too. So, so
0: American. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so good. All right, we can we can get to scores and um and then plugs. Yeah, and then well. plugs. Well, so, all right, scores. Uh. Obviously, five out of five for me. Mm. One of three. This film rocks. <laughs> two thumbs, two <laughs> thumbs up from Troy. Two thumbs, thumbs up. This is two you've gotta up. see it. Media it actually Time makes me says this is yeah, I'm, I'm continually astounded
4: mm-hmm. that
0: it it just seems like a really accessible film, especially in contrast to some of the other stuff we've been watching. And yet I've watched with other people and it just blows my mind that it seems to shrink them as boring or something like this. When, to me, just every word, especially the voiceover, it's just all so piercing and so everything. Masterpiece. Okay. Um,
3: I'll, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm going to follow with another five out of five. This is definitely one of my favorite films. Uh, to piggyback on the accessibility thing, I this is like the film that I try to get people to watch if they're not like totally uh, like art pilled or whatever like they like, uh, art is like a uh, transcendent experience blah 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 so I try to get them to watch this film uh, every time I watch it uh, I cry at like a new part it's just like so so perfectly made and uh, I love it every time I watch it must watch masterpiece five out of
0: five <laughs> these are only the first five out of five is on the podcast let's just
4: all give yeah, it a five well, out of
2: five yeah well, <laughs> I will give it seen. I will give it a 4.7 okay
4: which is very are, high
2: score. that is probably my highest score it is absolutely one of my favorite movies I think uh, you know how can you be bored when Marion is so beautiful uh uh just from uh, just yeah inside and out (laughs) she's just such a beautiful person you know um and then uh what else i think i think i had one other joke to make but i think i I think i forgot my joke is that the joke is it this is your
0: this is by far your highest score your second highest piano teacher got a 4.25 so yeah this
2: yeah yeah i would i would stand by that 4.7 uh
4: no all right great movie uh, I'm also giving it a 4.7. seven. Oh, two okay. Two thumbs up. Uh. I don't know if I have much else. Other than... The dialogue is great. Beautifully written. Uh, yeah. 4.7. For me, 4.5.
5: 4. This is my second favorite film, but my two thumbs up... My highest rated film is reserved for Dogville.
4: I love that uh, film David
1: <laughs> uh, well this I, don't, is your thing. I don't know if it's fair to ask me or not <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> so I'm not f- terribly familiar with your past and rating so I, but i would I would just have to say five out of five for me as well i just yeah. very yeah
0: let's go yeah. <laughs> fantastic Well. We've, we've gone over just a little bit, but that's fine. Uh, great podcast. Mm-hmm. David, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. This yes, has been thank you. just a real treat and uh, just really fantastic. We appreciate yeah. it. It's
1: been fun thank for you. me, too, and I've learned a lot, so thank you very much.
0: Do you uh, have anything
5: that you'd like to maybe say to a, the worldwide Audience. <laughs> yeah, we've got we got listeners. you know we got we got we got listeners. If you got a website, they'll flood it. They'll, you know.
1: They'll... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we've got the
0: you 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 you're involved with a film festival. Yeah, one of the project, things
1: right? one of the things I'm doing in retirement is uh, co-directing our local film festival in Greeley, Colorado. It's called the Go West Film Festival, uh, carrying forth the spirit of Horace Greeley, who said, "Go west, young man." And we have a week of Western films in November, November 8th through the 13th. Um, And uh, we have a broad definition of Western. So it's any film about the West, uh, including documentaries and so forth. Um, And so that might be of interest. The program will be up soon. It's at gowestfilmfest.org. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, you know,
0: considering... uh... considering, uh... We've built some rapport here. Maybe uh, if I or one of these guys uh, show a film, you'll 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 put us to the top. <laughs> yeah. Is um, it is it is no, it is, there, no, is competitive? Care. There is there's uh, there's, there's
1: one program in the festival called the Shorts Showcase in which we solicit short films about the West or westerns, uh, under 30 minutes in length. Um, mostly these are novice filmmakers who submit them through Film Freeway, and that is competitive. Well, it's
0: for novices and i guess i can't submit yeah well, <laughs> no it's not just it's not
1: just for novices So we, we welcome all uh, submissions but most yeah. of the people who submit most short filmmakers uh tend to not be, have established reputations in Hollywood. true yeah
0: yeah i kid we i am a nobody and i've done nothing so uh, definitely look forward to that uh hopefully if i'm still in colorado i can i can come see that that'd be good in uh november
5: yeah, we'd, probably be
0: better by then, too,
1: We'd
0: love probably. to
5: have you, yeah. I am shoehorning the plug for the YouTube channel and the website again. Oh, that's right. That's we it. have a
0: YouTube channel, Cinematographer Logically Speaking. Website, Brody. The website I, is alive. Brody has, yeah. is the architect.
5: Yeah, I'm the architect. I learned HTML, and I'm an expert now. Um, so hit me up. <laughs> Cinematographer
0: uh, Yeah. Well, thank you again, David. And, uh, yeah, this was fantastic.
1: My pleasure. All right. All right. Bye. 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 See you at the movies.